Welcome to Simple Theology, a podcast connecting theology to everyday life by examining various doctrines of the Christian faith. I'm Robert Kane. Are you? Indeed. Mm, the one and only. No, there's more. How do you know? Because I've looked it up. Oh, you, you there, stalked yourself? There, there may only be one Rick Gromlich with a name like Gromlich. You can get, not. You can get, My father's named Rick Gromlich, so. That's a, that's a valid point. <laughs> But you're not a junior. And, and that's right, I'm not. Anyway, yeah. yeah, I am Rick Romlick, and we're back in the old saddle, Simple Theology. Back in Rick's living room. Back in the living room, yeah. Yeah, nice to be here. Nice Absolutely. to be here. Welcome. Well, glad you we could recorded come late into last the night. Uh, studio today. Yeah, we did. But so, we got a little bit, more ener- whoa, little bit more energy now. More energy, more excitement. Um, just had lunch. That's a big one. Lunch number two, basically. Yeah, we pretty much. We went to Substance Church this morning. Yep. Ashland, didn't see Ohio. Ronnie Martin. Didn't see him. Nope. Ron, Rob, conferencing. Had, Rob had like his hats on, Ronnie Martin hat, his <laughs> shirt, like the big like, I'm your number one fan. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, anyway. but he was at a conference. Was he? I don't yeah, know. I, I, was, I, think, I think this past weekend, the normal pastor's conference was going no on. I just know I was in the nursery with my son because he was having a Dude. tough go of it, but that's all right. It he was, was letting the whole congregation know he was there. Yep. My I'm goodness. here, which is very odd for him. So, hence, it was substantially, um, it was a substantially difficult situation for him. Subst- substantial. Yeah. Substance. Substance church. I see what you did there. Mm, carry nice us on. on. But no, it was one of the coolest setups for church. Church um, service gatherings. Yeah, the way they decorated their gathering space is just, I mean, it looks amazing. It looks really good. Very hipster. Rob's to Rob's. Um, however, like clean hipster. There's that clean. dirty hipster. Mm, those dirty hips. Kind of dark and grungy. And then there's like the more like bright, lots of white with black trim and like the Edison bulbs. It kind of looks like Chip and Joanna threw up all over the place. And You say that, and that makes no sense. It literally well, makes no sense. It's not supposed to be taken literally. Even figuratively. Sure, sure does. How? Chip and Joanna Gaines, Magnolia. Yep. Their whole fixer-upper, mm-hmm. what they're known for. Yeah. Their design style gotcha. looks like it just got thrown all over the place in there. Like it's really you said well they done. Threw up, yeah. being vomited. I I was not referring to literal. But there, but but vomit always has a stinky, negative, nasty okay. connotation. Let me say it this way: It looks like Chip and Joanna. Like if you said like it were like hired a, to come in, there it looked like a and 90s do their design. Threw up on the thing. Like that ability. makes sense. Like it looks like garbage. Nope. You know. But to say, like, it was really well done, man. These people just puked everywhere. Like, vomit everywhere. Like, that doesn't... <laughs> Their no style sense. was vomited everywhere. Vomited you, all over the place. Every square inch of that place. There was even an industrial elevator. Like, old school industrial Again, elevator that, that you don't, they, they don't use. They didn't add it. They, it, just, it was just there. Anyway. It was great. Is okay. it a warehouse? It was really Rob, cool. I loved it. I, here's my question, Rob. Real quick before. Are you a hipster? Do you classify yourself as no. a hipster? No. See, I think you're kind of a closet hipster, actually. There are aspects. I think you're a closet hipster. And you come out... Why don't you explain a little bit? Tell me why. I think, like, there's a part of you that just really vibes with the hipster kind of a thing. Like, the the end... Not... What Like, what like, parts like, of the hipster thing? So, so you love... Because I might affirm what you're saying. You, you One, you, you love um, coffee that's made, like, very particular ways. You love the whole, like, process. The but whole I'll drink over. cured coffee, like... Okay. With no but, problem. But you, you love those things. You love, like, a word you use a lot is aesthetically pleasing. Like that's one of your go-to words. One of my um, go-to words. That's a phrase. Go-to phrase. You have, it's a hyphen. I think you hyphen it. <laughs> um, you have all your keys on a 
on a little belt loop chain thing. So how I put um, my keys? Yep, that's part of it. Part it's on like a carabiner. Everyone it, does that. No, they don't. Part of that makes it a hipster thing or closet hipsters. You still wear like Velcro sandals, so that's like totally no Velcro not, on those things. Those are called chacos. Yeah, that's that's not as hipster. So that kind of that's a, a point to the other side. Um, I feel like if you were if you would have been given a little more freedom in your late teens or their twenties, you could have slid into hipsterism a little bit more. That's probably true. Yeah, I'm not gonna argue with that. Yeah, so it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Like, no, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, especially but like if, if you're if hipster, you're a clean hipster. Especially. I was gonna say full fledged hipster is like you have skinny jeans, um, which is no, I don't. Weird to see you wearing them. I, like, I don't have skinny jeans. He like paints them on. I mean, that's pretty much what it's like. <laughs> that's not true at all. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I do want. There's my the jeans I have are like boot cut, mm-hmm. which Danielle always tells me are really out of style. They are out of so style. I, unless I, you're wearing boots. Yeah, which I I mean I wear I have boots like no, the ones that you have, but those aren't good for boot no, cut. They yeah, look silly. I mean legit boots not dress boots yeah i have dress boots yeah i do not have legit boots but rob there's no substance in this conversation Ooh, but hey speaking of substance yeah after the service it was something i experienced that i've never experienced before mm-hmm. so Sound they got their service at 9 a.m mm-hmm. and it was great service yep. wonderful music good um, stuff even i mean it was great preaching top shelf top drawer top drawer for rob yeah um and afterwards we go through a different set of doors than what we came in on and it leads to like this hipster magnolia type cafeteria where they've got fresh food. There's cheese, there's yogurt, there's pastries, there's, um, what else was there? There's fruit. Yeah. I mean, just every, a little brunch time. Yeah. It's fill, pretty, it's, fill your it's plate like, up chips, salsa. It's nice, but it's not like and then super over the top. Once you get through the line, yeah. you go to the next station mm, tell and there it. is a pour over station with like half a dozen v- Hario V60s and they've got the gooseneck kettle and they're okay, doing the whole pour over. I rest my case. <laughs> I like coffee. They get the Hario V6075, you know, with the Mach 33 uh, kettle. <laughs> but no, this lady, and they've got leather aprons. The leather, a- wow, a baby's not happy, but they've, they've got leather aprons, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And they weren't wearing them. They were hung up off the side. This lady was wearing them. Oh, she was, was she? Yeah. I missed it. Yeah, she, she was. But yeah, like the whole thing, they just, they dove right in. But it was really well done. It didn't mm-hmm. feel like dirty hipster. Clean hipster. Very clean, very bright. Okay. Like it was nice. Okay, so let's, let's, let's play off that for a second. Okay. Okay, so you're talking about all about the aesthetics. Great place, look cool. No, I said the music was wonderful and the preaching was phenomenal. Yep, yep, great. That's the most important part, the so, worship well, okay, aspect. But you spent 90% of the time talking about just the Edison bulbs and the clean hipster look, which is good. Well, I mentioned let's that let's because it was unique. That. Okay, let's just you can talk. Find oh, great, okay. You can find the great music we'll and the great... This is a transition. Do we have a sound for this transition? Oh, we, it's not plugged okay. in. Anyway, talk to us about why all that stuff is very secondary. Okay. Very, very secondary to what the main points are the main and that's that's what they believe and what they teach yes right yes the true substance, substance. of what they are right so so today we're going to talk about um confessions we're going to yep. kind of kick off a, a little series about confessions so if you have um if you've been around churches long enough it depends on the denomination and kind of the tribe you're part of you may have heard a lot about confessions you may have never heard about confessions and councils and creeds and those kinds of things. Um, you might get into those things and study them. You might have been told by some pastors, like, you know, stay away. Those things are just more confusing. They, 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 they 
just distract from Christ, those kinds of things. Which but, is ridiculous. But today, well, not entirely. Well, I mean, you can go too far on anything, but yep. the idea of I mean, the idea of saying that they distract from Christ, just like any anything other than Christ, it can it can be a good thing, but it can become uh, all consuming. Yeah, and then because for sure. a bad thing. So just like that. All right. So let Rob talk to us a little bit about some of the some of the councils that we're going to talk about in the series. Well, I don't have them in front of me. You do, so I'm going to let you talk about uh, the councils. I'll talk about the. You, you got the confessions. Yeah, so I've got okay. some confessions. So like, there's obviously some of the big ones, like the Westminster. Something is burning. I smell it. It's your house. It's burning down. It was, it was I hope great I paid my, while, while my you insurance. Had it. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> place while so many of you have heard of the Westminster Confession mm. or the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Catechism mm-hmm. is just a list of questions and answers to help um, a believer better understand what they believe. To indoctrinate them and brainwash them. That's one way of saying it. <laughs> but it's no, to disciple them. It's, um, it's a discipleship tool exactly. to catechize someone. Yeah. And brainwash so the, the, West, <laughs> the Westminster is a very popular one. Mm-hmm. There's a seminary named Westminster Theological Seminary. There are churches named Westminster all tend to be Presbyterian. There's also a small little place called Westminster Abbey. True that. Ringing a bell to anybody? Yeah. Um, So the Westminster Confession is a Presbyterian one. So we're a a Reformed one. And we say we're a Reformed podcast, and some people may take... Mm. um, I'm ...offense to that. No, you're not. Stop it. Rob is. He just doesn't know it. No. Um... Some people may not agree that we even call ourselves a Reformed yeah, podcast. there's a lot of because, wiggle room in there. Yeah, because we are Reformed in the sense of we are Calvinistic. So we're Reformed in our soteriology. Exactly, our, our, view our of salvation. Of salvation. Yeah. Yep. Um, but we are not full-fledged Reformed because that tends to be Presbyterian. And we don't agree with baptizing babies, and we have a slightly different view on ecclesiology. But um, Rob does hold to um, the, uh, you know... The yeah, go ahead, spit it out. Go ahead. Regular principle. I do. I do hold to the regular so, principle. He's a regular, a regular which maybe guy. Maybe we can talk about that. We're throwing around a lot of theological mm-hmm. terms on a show that's called Simple Theology. So sorry about that. Um, yeah, My apology bad. accepted. Anyway, I wasn't, I wasn't so there's the Westminster. There's the Westminster. The, uh, yes, the theological seminary. There's the Westminster Confession of Faith, um, done in 1647, and then shortly after that, there's the Second London Baptist. Confession of Faith, mm-hmm. the 1689. Mm-hmm. That's what that's called because it was, it came out um, a little bit before 1689, mm-hmm. um, but then it was allowed to be uh, like kind of publicly signed by some of the pastors in gotcha. London um, in that time. So they called the 1689 uh, Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. They called the second because the first one was written pre earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, they made a couple adjustments, but that is based off of a lot, a lot from the West from the Westminster. People joke around and say that it's not as good as the Westminster. Other people, Baptists, Reformed Baptists, kind of like myself, um, even though I wouldn't full-fledged agree with the 1689, say that it takes the best of the Westminster and then makes it better. And so I, I that's like... A, that's a pretty prideful statement. There. Yeah, exactly. Then people who are part of the Westminster say, oh, yeah, it's it's junior, like that uh, whole yeah. thing. So they both... It's a, it's a fun little jesting thing that uh, we all do with each other. But even though I love the 1689, it's a, it's a really beautiful confession, Um can't say at this point that I like fully subscribe to it. Part of it is because it's so robust. Like there are just a couple things in there that like, man, it's just ripped. It works out. Yeah, exactly. Um, so like it, it would, it would be more so Sabbatarian. Um, it would hold to covenant theology, which I tend to lean more progressive covenantalism, which, um, Rob's also highly progressive in his own political no, views. No, that's not, that's not what that means. 
Um, but then there's, okay, so that's the second London Baptist, which are really wonderful. And then there's like the Abstract of Principles, which is a shorter one, which came out in 1858. There's the 1658 and, and Savoy. The abstract of Principles. That's yeah. the one that the, the Southern Baptist Convention holds to. Correct? No, that's the one that Southern Seminary, oh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Okay, yes, um, yes. I wish the Southern Baptist Convention held to the Abstract of Principles. That would clarify a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... You guys need it over there in the SBC, that's for sure. Right. Now, then there's like the 1833 New Hampshire. I think there's an 1853 New Hampshire. I've seen it here and there, but then when I Google it, it's tough to find. But there are a few places, like even Capitol Hill. um, Like D.C.? Yeah, Capitol Hill Baptist Church holds to the 1853 New Hampshire. And it's tough to find that. And I see other churches affirm the 1853 as well, but I can't find... The 1853 as easily as I can the 1833. When you say you can't find it, like you can't just Google it and pull it up. Yeah, it's tough. Like it's actually tough to find. I don't know why. That's what but, I should do is make find one that like no one else can find. Yeah, that'd be good. Like, yeah, dude, I follow the the 1397. Um, 1397. That's the one I do. So yeah, hold me to it, bro. <laughs> but anyway, right, what the, are some the, other the reason the reason some of these confessions are so important and so helpful is that it keeps us within the bounds of orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. So these various statements, these various confessions, it's a public profession saying this is what we believe the Bible says about this particular topic. And so these confessions will cover a wide variety of topics, like the Westminster will go over a lot. Same with the 1689 those and the Savoy, those will go over a ton. But then the Abstract Principles and the, the New Hampshire, those are shorter they're like a page or two, mm-hmm. and they give you more freedom to operate while you're mm. still in agreement. Yeah. Whereas the 1689 Savoy and the 1689, the Savoy and the Westminster are um, so much more robust that it gives you a little bit less freedom to operate in agreement because you have to agree to so many different things to right. fully subscribe to it. It's more narrow. That's a, narrow. That's a much better way of saying it. Narrow. Very narrow. Um. So what they do is they say, hey, look, like. This is what we believe the Bible says about this topic Mm -hmm. based off of these scriptures, based off of the history of the church, and ultimately scripture is our final, first and final authority, but then also the history of the church helps clarify what the scriptures say to see how uh, believers in the past have interpreted these things. Mm -hmm. Because if you have a brand new interpretation today that 2,000 years of church history has never thought of or come up with or practiced, then you're likely outside of the bounds of orthodoxy. And orthodoxy just being that that term of faithful practice. So Faithful belief. Yeah, faithful belief, which leads to faithful practice. But then these confessions help state, okay, this is where mm-hmm. we stand. Yes. And mm-hmm. so what, what they're meant to be is guardrails, as fences, so that you don't go into unorthodox belief don't and practice. Put it in the ditch. Yeah. To prevent you from theologically, if you think of bowling, mm. it prevents you from throwing it in the gutter. Get out of that gutter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so so we, we kind of joke about that, but seriously, like there's we see this in the church today with um, just the, the the great span of things that come under the umbrella of quote unquote Christian. Mm-hmm. Any you know, it can be New Age stuff. It can be this like New Apostolic Reformation we're going to talk about here in a few weeks. Um, could be all kinds of stuff that's like way outside of Orthodox Christianity. Yeah. And so the way they, they dealt with these things in the past um, were through confessions, creeds, and councils. Um, so it's this way of saying, okay, what's what's in kind of 
in bounds, what's what's healthy for us, and what's completely like that's heresy, that's out, uh, and this is how the church um, historically have come to these conclusions. So I'm going to read, I'm going to talk a, a list of you actually of the councils that have happened, the really famous ones over the years. But I'm going to read a paragraph um, about that. Says this is out of the old Baker Compact Dictionary of Theological Terms. Thanks to you, Greg Allison. All right, a historically important a, a Council is a historically important and highly influential assembly of leaders from a wide representation of churches, convened to articulate the church's orthodox theological stance in light of biblical teaching and to refute heresies. These councils often bear the title general or ecumenical, in contrast to local or regional, um, because of the participation of the church leaders from various Christian traditions in geographical locations. Key political figures were often involved as well. Uh, these councils and the creeds and decisions that flowed from them are accorded different levels of authority by Catholicism, Orthodoxy, and Protestants. So there's this. So one, it's this kind of broad swath of churches coming together and saying, "Okay, this isn't like an issue that we're going to talk about. That's going to kind of super narrow. This is pretty broad, and we're going to figure these out." And over the years, they'd have various leaders there, but each council, or, or the creed that came from those, uh, would come out, and they'd have different kind of meaning. If you're a Catholic, you might hold one up higher, obviously, than you would if you were um, an Orthodox or if you're a Protestant. Yeah. And Orthodox, I mean, like, uh, like Eastern Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox. Yeah, but like the primary reason that these things come <laughs> out is because there's a false teaching of Correct. some sort, Correct. and so the church has to come together and say, okay. Let's record what we agree to be the faithful interpretation and practice of and belief of this particular topic. And so each of these councils you're getting ready to talk about, they were combating a false mm-hmm. interpretation, a false belief. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read these councils a little bit about them. Some of them talk about what they were um, condemning, the heresy. Some of these, I'll be honest, I can't even, um, I can't even pronounce them, and I don't know what some of these are. Okay, so this is going to be a test for Rob. All right. Uh, so the first one, just the Nicene Council, the first one in the year 325 AD. Um, this was the doctrine they were formulating was the deity of the sun, and this was uh, to combat Arianism, which is a, a false teaching on the Trinity, and especially relating to Christ. Yeah, um, so just real, real quick, Arianism states that Jesus is not... Well, some would say that he's not fully God. Others would say that he is just lesser than the Father, right? which we would disagree with, that right. Jesus is co-equal, co-powerful, co-eternal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. So the second one is in 381 AD, so not a whole lot um, further after the first one, Constantinople one, and this was to affirm the Nicene uh, First Council, the deity of the, Holy Spirit, of the Spirit. So first was the deity of the Son, now they're talking about the deity of the Spirit, um, and then there's a council in 431 in Ephesus, um, unity of two natures in Christ. This would be the deity and the humanity of Christ. Um, there's the Chaldean council in 451. This is the hypostatic union. Um, and Rob, you want to expand on that because these other words I can't explain you. I'm going to try this word. <laughs> um, the hypostatic union, I think. Eustachianism? I don't know. I'm fairly certain the hypostatic union is the union of Jesus being fully man and fully God. And so we affirm that he's not he's not 50% man and 50% God. He's 100% man and 100% God. And if I'm 
off on that. It's going to be embarrassing that I got it wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what hypostatic union is referring to. Yep. Is that I, I want to Google it right now just to be sure, but I'm, I'm almost positive that's what it is. That he's 100% man and he's 100% God. I'm going to you're welcome to Google. I'm going to go to the next one, and that was Count Constantinople II. Um, this was in the year 553 AD, um, and this was to clarify the Council of um, Chaldean. So, um, in the origin, the Nestorianian Nestorianism Nestorianism in the originism. So these these you see a flow through these about clarifying the deity of Christ and the Holy Spirit, and a lot of these really did have to do with the Trinity. Um, and this is a doctrine the early church wrestled with a lot. Yeah. Got an answer for us? Oh, yeah. The hypostatic union is the combination of divine and human natures in the single person of Christ. There so you, you had me second-guessing myself, and Why? so I don't know. Just the way you said it, I was like, I'm pretty sure that's what it is, but... I was affirming you. Rick, you always affirm me. No, I don't. You're so You're I, so good to me. Stop. You made me blush on, on radio. Um, and Nicene 2, which was done in 787, um, affirmed the veneration of icons. There you go. Hmm. Mm. So Greek Orthodox would not appreciate that one. They would not. So uh, this idea that these, the, we're talking about council, we're going to talk about the confessions because we think those are the, the most helpful for us. But giving a little background, confessions, councils, creeds, these were the things that kind of helped to shape the church over, throughout church history. Um, now, it's interesting because as as evangelicals, we hold to really sola scripture, that, that scripture alone. Um, we don't say scripture plus tradition or scripture plus the Pope, um, whereas Catholics would, I think that Greek Orthodox have some of that really woven into them, and and even, um, well, we, especially in just liberal, the liberal mainstream yeah. denominations, where it's like, dude, we kind of, whatever we want our truth to be, we'll, we'll figure it out. But the point is that we still, after all these things, we still hold to Scripture. Now, the other interesting thing is, you talk to any person who wants to like talk about their denomination and almost always the the denomination or tribe started out of uh well we just want to go back to the gospel we just want to go back to scripture we want to kind of you know go home back in to what scripture said not worry about confessions not worry about this or that right and and i totally get what they're saying like be people of the book right you know, visit many books, live in Scripture. And it's the same principle, and that's where some people go off the rails on the wrong side with confessions and these things, is they they make those things equal to Scripture. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's not. It's it's not inerrant. It's, it has error. Yeah. Um, it's not the Word of God, and it's not living and active, right? So it's not Scripture. However, they can be very, very helpful for us, but we have to make sure we handle them the, the right way and not give them too much credence or just say, hey, they're pointless and they're worthless. Yeah, exactly. And, and just to throw out there, we would be remiss not to mention throw the Apostles' Creed. I mean, we Wait, talk what's about, that one? Yeah. We talk about uh, creeds, confessions, and statements, and councils, but um, certainly don't want to forget the Apostles' Creed. But one of the things that we, that we affirm when it comes to confessions is that they help us understand Scripture— but they are not themselves scripture. So, Rick, you, you mentioned that you can go so far to one end, which is a, a, too far mm-hmm. to one end, saying that the, the confession is equal with scripture. Well, no, yeah. that's not true, because we, uh, we hold up the confession in so much as it holds up scripture faithfully. Mm-hmm. Where the confession errs, we say it erred because it's not consistent with scripture, with scripture. However, you can also go to the other side and say, no creed but the Bible. 
there are people out there who say, I, I hold to no creed. I hold to the Bible. It's like, okay, well, you've now gone the other direction. You've gone into the other gutter lane of saying that I'm not going to associate myself with any statement of faith or any confession um, strictly because I have the Bible. Well, yes, so do a lot of other people who are espousing false teachings and heretical teachings. And um, one of the things about confessions is that they protect us against things like cults. People who will take Those cults, they'll get you. Well, people who will take the Bible and say, "Yes, this is like we affirm that what." Well, that's what, what we saw with Jehovah Witness, Jehovah's with, Witness, and you know, Mormons. Of, like, yeah, Mormons. They, I mean, were they were they affirm a lot of the things that seem to come out of Scripture? Right. But it's taken going. out of context, yeah. or they've gone too far, and they've developed their own movement out of it. And a lot of like one-off cults. Yeah, you and know, what was the one from Waco? Yeah, I don't remember the name of it, but yeah. yeah. And I, I don't one, know if he was using like scripture or what. Church of Scientology, they, they kind of start, the, it's usually a personality grows, a super charismatic person, and they just pretty much start their own religion. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so I think, and, and, and to be honest, people on our side, are the, the kind of more reformedish tribe, they are the ones who are in error of going too far to one side. Right, they're the ones who, who can hold to them to the confessions. It creates too much. Yeah, and and someone will say, "Well, I want to talk about this doctrine," and they just go to a confession. So yeah. I, want to, I need you to show me in scripture. Yeah, right. And a good that, confession that, will have the references. Well, that's what I was gonna say. The good thing about confessions, the very helpful thing I should say, and it's good, is that they really help you to understand systematically why we believe what we believe. They help you to, to lay things out in scripture. Um, in a systematic theology rather than like just a, uh, we say a biblical theology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, systematic theology is biblical, but it's just a matter of, of how it's laid out. So that's the one side where people err, is they, they start to quote confession as scripture. It's like it's not, it simply can help explain things, it can clarify things. If you're struggling with a doctrine, it's a great place to start looking and digging in. Um, and then there's a, so, so that's, and that's kind of those who t- take them to extreme, to the extreme. Are kind of on our side of the camp. Yeah, and, and here's um, and the thing: other, the ones who 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 kind of just deny it and say, "Forget that." They are the ones who usually are not reformed, not more Calvinistic. Um, I'm not gonna put a, like a, them in a camp. I'm just saying they're usually not a part of kind of the group we. Yeah. Well, what, what we hear a lot group we kind of run. What with. we hear a lot from from those who find themselves in that camp mm-hmm. who have never looked into confessions and ha- are kind of running away from confessions. Yeah. They just say, I just want people to know about Jesus. Yep. Like I just, I just want, I just want people to know the gospel. Mm-hmm. And yes, absolutely. Like for goodness sakes, the people who are, f- who love confessions aren't saying we don't want people to know about Jesus. or We don't want people to know the gospel. Right. We just want them to embrace the full counsel of God's word. And the confession helps point to that because the confession bre- confessions break it down. Like, mm, hey, here's down, what we girl. believe about the Sabbath. Here's what we believe yeah. about baptism, about the Lord's Supper, about right. the atonement. And, and they go through these things. And they and we were talking about like running to a confession too quick. Mm-hmm. Like, w- certainly run to the confession if you believe that the confession has adequately described it. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of instances it has, but however, you need to make sure that, that your final authority is not the confession, but is in fact scripture. Right, and and this is a thing where we we can be in danger of um, working our salvation out systematically with our theology, but it does not match our heart. Where we we care more about finding the right confession and like all these things that we actually care about, spending time with the Lord, mm. loving our neighbors well, 
living out the very mission Christ has called us to. And that's where I, I can get frustrated with people who, you know, they they go bananas about, like, locking in their theology. And they don't even know, they're not even living it at all what Christ called them to live, uh, as far as missionally. Yeah. And living with, with compassion and grace and love towards people. So it's like, man, you, you're, you're rocking that piece. But the Pharisees did that too. Yeah. And, well, I, and, we would even say that. And they, they got condemned to hell. Yeah, we would even say they're not rocking that piece because we would say that faithful theology is experiential theology. If you're faithfully understanding mm-hmm. what God's Word says, then you're recognizing that it, it doesn't just stop with the head. It also goes to the heart and to the hands. Like, it goes into our practice. We we have faithful right. theology so that we can have faithful, um, mm-hmm. shoot, what's the term that I'm looking for? Orthopraxy. Orthopraxy, thank you. Is um, that the word? Yeah, it was. Um, okay. Which means... Just, I almost said doxology. So, like, <laughs> like we no, talk about orthodox it. theology. Orthodox being right and proper. Orthopraxy means, like, right and proper lifestyle behavior mm-hmm. that follows. So there's this, there's this kind of reciprocating orthodox beliefs follow orthopraxy, ortho lifestyle, and, yeah. and vice versa. Yeah. So you can't really have one without the other. But there are people who, who appear to have everything locked in and because that's the easy part. That's the part you can you can sit in a room and say, like, man, that guy knows all the stuff and it sounds really good. Yeah. But because you're not with them all the time, you don't know how they're living. And that's what I mean. It can be deceptive. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Confessions, you go. creeds, and councils. So we're going to go through some of these. Um, we probably, I mean, maybe, I don't know. We might go through all the ones that we mentioned, but we're trying to just go through a few of them yeah. and talk through some of the stuff on there because we think they're extremely helpful. We really can't encourage you guys enough to read through some confessions and they don't take very long even a couple hours no even even the <laughs> westminster and the 1689 the savoy which are longer ones may take you can you put a link to them yeah, they're all they're all on our website already yeah if you go to the resource page i i've already linked to them all of them wow i mean i might have to add a couple every but confession yeah, a lot of ever that's impressive <laughs> yeah anyway no, but so we're going to talk about those things, d- dive into them, and hopefully they do not distract us from our, or, or, or us or the listeners from the, the pursuit of Christ, our intimacy with Christ. Um, but we want to talk about some of the important things about them and some of the things that are not so helpful. Um, and yeah, so that's it. Yeah, what I was saying is that even the longest ones aren't going to take you more than 30 minutes to an hour. Mm. So, but most of them are only a page or two, and you can read that in 10 minutes. I mean, that's an assumption, but most people. Most people. I'm a slow reader. I'm a slow reader. Yeah. So, all right. If you guys want to check out more, go to our website, simplytheology.org. You can call us and leave a voicemail, 614-233-1098. 614-233-1098. Is that a uh, collect call? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We charge people for Anyone it. Anyone remember call collect? Okay. Um, Rob, where else, I mean, where else can they view guys, our, our content? You can find some of our content on Instagram now at Simple Theology Pod. At Simple Theology Pod. And you can also find us on Facebook. And if you want to just get our attention on social media, you can either tag us on Facebook or Instagram at Simple Theology Pod. You're it. Or you can use the hashtag Simple Theology Pod. Boom. So, am I missing anything? I think you wrapped up. Oh, and if you want to email us, info at simpletheology.org. Info at simpletheology.org. Love to hear from you guys. Have a good week. Seriously, guys, there's tons of ways to get in touch with us. We make all these ways so that you reach out to us more and so that we can hear more from you. Rob's desperate for a connection. (laughs) Desperate for attention, guys. (laughs) But no, seriously, any of those ways work. Uh, Join Mm. the conversation. Let us know what you want us to talk about, and we will do our best to get to it. That's right. All right. Appreciate you guys. Peace out, y'all. Peace.